Last Lord's Day, I mentioned to you that we were going to focus on three particular aspects of the cross of Jesus Christ. And at that time, we focused upon that first particular aspect of the cross that was the connection between the celebration by the Jews of their Passover when God the Father passed over those Jews, declining to judge them forever because he saw the slain lamb's blood on their doorposts. And this, of course, connects with the ultimate and final lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, who was slain in order to forever take away the sin of everyone who would ever believe in him. That graphic picture of Passover, which signified what Jesus did when he died on Calvary, was celebrated by Jesus with his disciples when they convened their own Passover celebration in that upper room over 2,000 years ago now. Even though his own disciples did not fully recognize the significance of it, when that animal, which was a spotless, perfect lamb, was literally roasted and eaten by Jesus with his disciples that evening, and which, which would have been also celebrated by every Jewish home in Jerusalem that evening, every lamb being slaughtered that day for that very purpose, would also become in a very profound spiritual reality, the perfect picture of what occurred when the body of Jesus Christ himself was sacrificed for sin. Jesus, knowing exactly and precisely what he was doing that night in the upper room, took that roasted lamb, held it up in obedience to what God had commanded all of the Jews to do on that very occasion in order to celebrate God's Passover of forgiveness. However, that night was different, monumentally different. Because in those events, in that upper room, there was instituted by Jesus a radically new kind of supper called the Lord's Supper. When he took the wine and the bread and after blessing it, spoke about how those elements symbolized a new act of celebration. One that would symbolize and memorialize his own self-giving death for the forgiveness of sins. Indeed, he said that in giving up his own life and by the shedding of his own blood, it would mark that there would be a new covenant ushered in on behalf of many for the forgiveness of their sin. And that night in that upper room there signified a radically new way of understanding the ending of the Jewish Passover meal and the inauguration of a new supper of celebration 
through the very sacrifice of the body and blood of the Lord. This is what we celebrate tonight as Christians. Not the old covenant supper of the Passover meal. Even though that was rich and indeed was commanded by the Lord for all of the Jews, we celebrate tonight instead the new covenant signifying the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we've sung about. That's what we've read about. Where God, through Christ, passes over all of our sins through the sacrifice of the ultimate Lamb, our Lord Jesus, for which God forgives by punishing Him. I ask you tonight, what of this second particular aspect that I mentioned last time were we going to cover tonight? That is the purpose of the cross. If last time we discovered the Passover and the cross, tonight I want to delve into the purpose of the cross. What is it? What did it achieve? What was the design of the cross? Well, I can give it to you in a word. It is what we call sin-bearing. Sin-bearing. That's the purpose of the cross. And just as the Old Testament pictured a lamb who would be slaughtered in order to celebrate the Passover meal, so there is spoken of in the Old Testament the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the sin offering in the singular, the offering of sin by the sacrifice of someone or something as a substitute. Look back at the book of Leviticus for the reality of what the Jews were also commanded, not just the Passover meal, but in Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 5, speaking of Aaron as the priest, God through Moses commanded that he, Leviticus 13, 5, shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, singular, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord 
and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people. And bring its blood inside the veil. And do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. Verse 20. And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. That was a command of the Lord. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, has been celebrated from that very day to our own. And that particular picture, which was commanded by God, was to ultimately show that there is coming a day of atonement that will supersede that day like no other. And for you to see that in your New Testament, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. For surely the day of atonement happened on this Good Friday over 2,000 years ago. And it is depicted for us by the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. 
These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing and eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, notice this, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore He, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You see, only those sins that were committed in the first covenant could not take away sin. That redemption, as it were, that was being pictured, I say, could never take away sin. Only the blood of Christ could take away their sin and ours. Look at verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The Day of Atonement in Christ is capital D-Day. Isaiah 53 a very familiar passage to you, if you'll turn there, also speaks poignantly to what was being pictured and prophesied by Isaiah about Jesus, the suffering servant, in Isaiah 53, verse 4. This is, this is what the Day of Atonement was pointing to. This is what the sin offering was picturing Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs. This is the sin-bearing that I'm referring to regarding the cross of Jesus. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. 
Look at the latter part of verse 7. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, like a scapegoat, taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Look at the latter part of verse 11. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The latter part of verse 12. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Is not that a picture of the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus? That's why Peter can say so poignantly in 1 Peter chapter 2, these words about this suffering servant and ascribe it to Jesus Himself. Chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, Peter says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself, Peter says, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. The Old Testament day of atonement was to sacrifice animals on behalf of the people or to send a scapegoat out for the sending away of sin as it were into the wilderness never to return. The design of the atonement, the sacrifice of Jesus was so that He could bear the sins of everyone who would ever believe upon that cross so that you and I would not have to bear the eternal weight of our own sin. That's the design of the atonement. That's the purpose of it. That's the accomplishing of what Jesus did there. It was so that He could become my scapegoat where God the Father placing my sins upon Christ and sending Him away to pay the penalty of my sins so that I would never ever have to return to them again. Jesus is our sin bearer. He's our sin bearer. Because you see, if I had to bear the weight of my own sin, I couldn't do it. The weight is too much. It's too heavy to bear. It's too hard to pay. If I were attempt were to attempt to bear it as so many assume that they can and are doing today, my sin would be so monumentally heavy 
I would end up spending all eternity in hell attempting to pay for the penalty of my sin myself. And I would never be relieved of its guilt. And since I'm not perfect, every attempt that I would have at self-justification and sin-bearing would be fraught itself with even more sins, which actually then adds to my guilt and then would add to my guilty sentence of condemnation. If there is no other sin-bearer than myself, I'm hopelessly lost, and I'm on my way to hell to be punished for the penalty of my own sin. What no perfect, spotless lamb or any other animal who would serve as a scapegoat could do for any Jewish person is to permanently take away their sin. And no amount of any self-effort on the part of anyone, even if they were commanded by God to partake in a religious ritual, could ever satisfy the wrath of a holy and righteous God against sin. No. The only way for a righteous and holy God to be propitiated, to be satisfied, is for there to be a perfect, spotless person to die on behalf of their sins. And positively, there needs to be someone who would live such a righteous life such a perfect upbringing who would then satisfy all of the demands of divine justice as written by God through Moses in the law. And there was one who did that. And negatively so, he would also need to be willing to give up that perfect, spotless life for the sake of all of those who would so desperately need Him to have their sins be borne by Him. And there was one who did that. And He is one and the same. In the kind providence and plan of our sovereign God from eternity past, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was and is Himself God of very God, determined together that this second person of the Godhead would come to this earth and would be both that sinless, righteous keeper of the law and one who would be the sin-bearer, who would die for filthy, wretched sinners like you and me. And that is precisely what He did. shortly after showing His disciples this incredible picture of what the Passover meal was designed to point. Jesus told His disciples that He Himself was to be betrayed, arrested, unjustly judged, hanged on a tree, and ultimately to die of His own voluntary will. And yet it was in the will of a sovereign God from eternity past. It pleased God 
to strike him. To put an end to sin. And this, my beloved friends, is the purpose of the cross. This is what the cross was designed to achieve. Do you want to know the design, the purpose, the achievement of the cross? It was so that sin would be born on behalf of sinners who would otherwise be totally unable to bear it themselves. What a plan. What a purpose. What an accomplishment. It was to plan what we ourselves could never plan to occur. It was to purpose what we ourselves could never have conceived. And the Bible says it was all for love. All for love. Listen to Dr. J.I. Packer in his excellent article, What Did the Cross Achieve? Jesus Christ, our Lord, moved by a love that was determined to do everything necessary to save us, endured and exhausted the destructive divine judgment for which we were otherwise inescapably destined and so won us forgiveness, adoption, and glory. To affirm penal substitution is to say that believers are in debt to Christ specifically for this and that this is the mainspring of all of their joy, peace, and praise, both now and for eternity. I think this came through to me as powerfully this week than maybe it ever has. My son Logan, our 16-year-old, has been very ill this week. In fact, for many weeks now. We didn't know why he was degenerating physically, each day becoming weaker and weaker. And when we took him because of his complaining about his eyesight to Dr. George Schroeder, an ophthalmologist and a good friend, discovered that Logan had bulging optic nerves, which in the worst case scenario would signal something like a a brain tumor. He did say that in some cases, maybe even the best case scenario, it might even be a reaction to something like acne medication and a whole lot of things in between. And it appears as though it was, in fact, a response of oral medication for acne. In order to try to determine if that exactly was the proximate cause, another pediatrician who specializes in neurology asked us to have Logan undergo a spinal tap. And so he did, and... Through that process, over the next couple of days, he continued to get worse and worse and worse until he was vomiting very violently up to 50 or so times 
nauseated terribly, sick. Yesterday we took him back to that doctor and put him on intravenous fluids until he could recover to some degree. And we asked the doctor, "What, what does this mean? What is going on? And he said, I think this acne medication has caused what is called pseudotumor cerebri. There's no tumor, but your body assumes that there is, and so there's fluid buildup in the brain, from the brain stem, and of course from the spine, and so we need to do a spinal tap and evaluate that fluid. And apparently when they do a spinal tap, they try to take about two or three cc's of fluid, and from the pressure that had built up, which caused the optic nerves to bulge, they took 30 cc's of fluid from his spine that was excessive And when they did that, apparently through the process of that spinal tap, which of course is something that may sometimes occur, although rarely apparently, they must have punctured the dura sac and he began leaking more fluid. And now instead of high pressure, he was experiencing low pressure, which itself created a spinal tap headache, which apparently according to the literature is one of the worst headaches that a person could have. And when I went home yesterday from a frantic call from my wife and saw him writhing in pain. You look at your son and there's nothing you can do. After we tried to get him cleaned up a little bit and get those IV fluids into his body, we asked the doctor what could be the result if he doesn't respond to the fluids. He said then we would probably have to do what is called a blood patch where because of that puncture wound in the sac, we would actually take some of his own blood and put it in a syringe and put a needle in that same location and cover that puncture wound with his own blood, which would then act as a patch to seal it up and heal him. We're still waiting to see if that's what we need to do based on whether or not he'll recover sufficiently enough But as soon as I heard of that concept, I said to myself with obvious differences, that is a wonderful metaphor for what we need. Except we don't need our own blood. We need the blood patch of Jesus Christ who took His own blood and administered on all of our puncture wounds of sin the only remedy which when His blood patches our wounds we are healed. We need the blood patch of Jesus. Do you have that blood patch tonight? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you see Him as the sin-bearer? One who has taken all of the puncture wounds of our sin and placed His own precious blood to cover us and to heal us. Do you know of the saving blood of Christ?
Did I not read it in Colossians 1, verse 20? Having made peace through the blood of His cross. I want you to bow together with me. As we come now to the Lord's Supper, I want to ask you if Jesus is your only substitute for sin. Peter says that he bore in his body sins on that tree. You must believe that Jesus alone is your only hope of salvation. Turn from your sin. The sin that will send you to hell forever. And embrace what Jesus did for sinners like you and me. If that's your heart response tonight, you've become a new creature in Christ. And if that's the case, please consider partaking of the Lord's Supper with us as a new believer in Jesus. If you already believe that Jesus is your sin bearer, you rejoice in that and you have basked in that joy for a long, long time, regardless of whether you are a member of this local church or not, you too participate in this supper of the Lord with us. And all of us rejoice in the Lord that Jesus is Himself the ultimate and final substitute on the Day of Atonement when over 2,000 years ago He bore our sins in His body on that accursed tree. Celebrate with us as we partake of the bread and the cup. We pray in His name. Amen.